Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, June 23rd, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. The 2023 American Library Association Annual Conference kicked off Thursday in Chicago with a rally for the right to read. Headlines from around the country have covered ongoing threats to the freedom to read, including news from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans that has freedom to read advocates concerned. Yeah, so last week we talked about the ALA Annual Conference and how book bans and efforts to defend the freedom to read were going to be a big part of this year's program. And, you know, this week we can talk a little bit about why that is, because, you know, more than two years into what we know is an organized political movement to ban or restrict access to books in school libraries, schools and libraries, I should say, the battle really is reaching a pretty critical phase. Uh, we talked on this show in recent weeks about two major lawsuits filed by Freedom to Read Advocates in Florida and Arkansas. But a June 7th hearing before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is a reminder that the legal road can be long and winding and uncertain. And this week, Freedom to Read advocates are voicing concern about how the Fifth Circuit might rule in another case that we've talked about on this show, Little versus Leno County. Uh, it's a year-old suit filed by library patrons in Leno County, Texas, after county officials pulled a bunch of books off library shelves that they just didn't like. Now, as our listeners may recall, on March 30th, Judge Robert Pittman in Austin issued a, at the time, widely held preliminary injunction in the case and ordered the return to library shelves of 17 library books that Pittman determined were illegally targeted and removed. And he also barred the library from removing other books while the litigation proceeds. Well, the Fifth Circuit is now considering an appeal of that order by Leno County officials. And at the end of last week, I reported on the nearly hour-long argument before a panel of judges on the Fifth Circuit. And I have to say that argument went a little bit sideways. Now, you can check that out in my Week in Libraries column. Uh, it's on the PW site. There's a link to the argument there, which you can listen to the entire thing. And, of course, I should point out that we don't know how the Fifth Circuit is going to rule but I've been talking with lawyers and, and publishers, and they seem to agree that the hearing was pretty eye-opening. And I'm happy to tell you why. What is the issue, Andrew, before the Fifth Circuit in this case? Sure. And, and the background here is actually very important. So you know, basically, the issue before the court, uh, before the Fifth Circuit, I should say, is whether Judge Pittman's preliminary injunction, which ordered these library books returned to library shelves while the case proceeded, was justified. And while our, our legally savvy listeners may know that there's a test that goes into deciding whether a preliminary injunction is justified, I'll point out one factor of that test that really is sort of game, set, and match here, and that is whether or not there's irreparable harm. Now, under this factor, constitutional injuries are presumed to be irreparable harm. And in his March 30th injunction, Pittman found that there was a First Amendment violation in that county officials were determined to have just pulled these books off library shelves without any due process, right? Uh, they just removed these books based on what he determined was viewpoint discrimination, and that has long been held unconstitutional by the courts. Uh, the test, of course, the, the injunction test also requires that the plaintiff showed that they are likely to prevail. And here's the thing. This case should be a slam dunk because the issue isn't whether Leno County can take books off the library shelves. Of course they can. 
The issue is that that just needs to happen in a legal, proper fashion. You just can't have county officials coming into the library and saying, we don't like this. It's gone. And that's the issue here. The evidence in this case that Judge Pittman ruled on shows that that's exactly what happened. Someone complained about the books that were that were at the library, and library officials just went ahead and pulled them off the shelves. Now, if you listen to the hearing, however, the Fifth Circuit panel seemed to have a hard time staying on point, including one fairly young Trump-appointed conservative justice named Kyle Duncan. And if that name rings a bell... You know, Judge Duncan was actually he was involved in an incident that made headlines back in March. He was the judge who was shouted down by Stanford students during during a speech there. And that episode became a widely discussed uh, and and portrayed as an example of just how fractured our political discourse has become and, and how challenged free speech has become. At one point. Duncan challenged uh, attorneys in the case, asking uh, attorneys for the plaintiffs why removing pornography from a library is an impermissible motive under the First Amendment. And the answer to that, replied lawyer Catherine Chiarello, is that it isn't, right? You can take books that are you know, vulgar or pornographic or obscene off library shelves. But that determination involves a legal analysis known as the Miller test, which is used to determine whether or not materials are obscene. And that was not done in Lano County. And the evidence that was before Judge Pittman is actually pretty clear on that. Now, what I found incredible about the hearing is that Duncan responded to this by sort of applying his own on-the-spot test to two books that were removed, Gender Queer by Maya Kebab and Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison. Uh, and he said, if those books don't meet the definition of pornography, I don't know what does. Uh, at which point, Chiarella, the lawyer, corrected Duncan that the standard is you know, not pornography, it's obscenity. To which the judge replied, okay, they seem obscene. <laughs> now, that's alarming to me because you know, Judge, judge Duncan is, of course, entitled to his thoughts on the books. And we may disagree. But the Miller test, and this is enshrined in, in First Amendment law, protects us all from having government officials taking books out of our libraries and schools just because they don't like them. And the question before Judge Duncan in the Fifth Circuit is really not about any legal determination of obscenity for these books and questions. It is about whether or not government officials have the unchecked power to simply ban books from libraries that they disagree with. So we don't know how the Fifth Circuit is going to rule here, and it's always hard to infer how any court is going to rule from the oral arguments. But it is very much possible that a bad decision could come into play here. And that has the publishing and library communities a little concerned about what's going on here. They, They think that Uh, A decision, a bad decision here could imperil some long-held constitutional norms, which could take years to sort out. And here's the thing, too. This litigation, it could be over tomorrow. In fact, it should be. You know, Lano County officials could settle this suit and stop paying lawyers and just agree that the government can't just ban books they don't like, which I think all of us would agree is good policy. And then as soon as the case is done, they can go ahead and challenge these books through proper channels. The question is, why don't they do that? And that really speaks to the heart of the issue, librarians say. Uh, they don't, librarians believe, because they are afraid that if they have to go through a democratic process, a review committee, for example, that follows the Constitution and the law and listens to the community, 
that they won't get the outcome they desire, that the books will actually stay on library shelves. And all of this was explained at great length by University of Illinois professor Emily Knox at the U.S. Book Show in an interview that we did back in May. There's an excerpt of that interview now up on the PW site. And she explained that what we're seeing with this wave of book bans is sort of an outgrowth of the Trump years and part of a broader phenomenon, uh, like we saw with January 6th, right? Rather than, you know, follow the democratic processes, which may not give you the outcome you want, more and more people are just deciding to go around them. And the same thing, this is what's happening with book bans, right? More and more people are just deciding to remove books or worse, show up to school and library board meetings and call people groomers or try to intimidate people to get the outcome they want. And of course, the battle has landed in a number of state legislatures as well. And all of this is going to be very much on the on the minds of librarians and publishers over the next five days here at the ALA annual conference. And I expect that we're going to have a lot more perspective and a lot more to talk about after the conference is over. Illinois-based Every Library and National Political Action Committee for Libraries has issued a report tracking legislative developments involving the freedom to read. What do their numbers show? Yeah, the report, which is, you know, on 2023 legislation of concern for libraries offers a really comprehensive look at this wave of state legislation that's really imperiling and uh, the work of librarians across the United States. Uh, and it really focuses on bills that are, you know, restricting access to certain materials, uh, like those, for example, in Texas that are deemed to be harmful or inappropriate for minors. Through June 17th, when the report was issued, 24 bills across 14 states have passed in state legislatures. Uh, two of these bills were vetoed. 22 are now in various stages of enactment. And many of these bills are a little worrying. Um, many of them remove historic defenses from criminal prosecution for public librarians or schools uh, or library administrators over the materials on their shelves. Um, some seek to change the definitions of obscenity and get involved with collection development or collection review or challenge policies. Some laws mandate age limits for books, like a new law that was just passed in Texas that would impose a book rating system for publishers and, and vendors in the state. You know, all in all, it's a very sobering report from every library, but it also has a very constructive component to it as well. It offers this sort of call for a new kind of library advocacy, which involves building political power through what they call an activist model. But also, I have to say, reading this report, it really kind of shows the extent to which, if I'm being honest, we've kind of blown it so far. And you know, I'm speaking more personally here than for my esteemed employer. But you know, I've been hearing for some time now about how the publishing industry has been a little late to the issue here, which is unfortunate because this is an issue that is fundamental. Uh, it's the freedom to read, right? It's fundamental to the industry. And now, publishers have long been supporters of the freedom to read. But I think a lot of us in the industry have come to take it a little bit for granted, right? Too many of us have come to believe that the kind of threat we're seeing today really couldn't happen here. So much so that, you know, many the publisher's main lobbying arm, right? The AAP actually dismantled its freedom to read programs uh, in recent years to focus more narrowly on copyright policy. Now, I don't think anyone five or six years ago could have expected what's happening today with the freedom to read. So I'm not leveling blame at anyone for dismantling the freedom to read arm of the AAP. But in hindsight, I think it's pretty obvious now that laying down arms on this issue has sort of, you know, greenlighted the attacks that we're seeing today. And in the Every Library report, I think it becomes pretty clear that this has to be fixed and it really can't be allowed to happen again, right? We're not going to be able to go back to a place 
or an outraged statement is going to be able to blunt uh, an attack on the freedom to read. Uh, publishers are going to need to work in this sort of new world of advocacy with library advocates and freedom to read supporters to ensure that these kinds of attacks on the freedom to read don't happen in the first place. And that is going to require, as the Every Library Report suggests, this new kind of activism, right, this new kind of alliance. And I really do think what we're seeing at the American Library Association meeting over the next five days represents a crucial moment. Now, the good news is that the publishing industry is suited up and they're in the game, right? The AAP is now part of a lawsuit challenging this new harmful to minors law in Arkansas. Penguin Random House is part of a lawsuit in Florida. Uh, and the AAP filed a really good amicus brief in the Lano County case that we just talked about. But I do think that if there is a message that will come out of this year's ALA, where defending the freedom to read is going to be so prominent, is that we have, A, a lot of catching up to do in this fight, and B, that once we do catch up, and I believe we will catch up, how are we going to make sure that this doesn't happen again? We can never take the freedom to read for granted again. And in the coming months and years, as these legal cases play out and as this legislation works its way through the system, I'll be really interested in seeing what the industry, what librarians, what the publishing industry comes up with, what this new collective advocacy effort is going to look like as it takes shape. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening.